Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. July the 1st marks the 26th anniversary of Hong Kong's return to Chinese rule. And it also marks one year since Chief Executive Zhang Li assumed office. While facing the media recently, Li described the current Hong Kong society as being happier, livelier, with more confidence and hope, so that the government can continue to pursue economic growth and development and boost the competitiveness of the city. What is there to celebrate for the locals during this year's anniversary? anniversary, what challenges remain, has the city strengthened its footing as a free and competitive economy and a major international financial centre after the chaos and damage sustained in 2019 followed by the pandemic. Welcome to a special edition of The Point with me, Li Xin, coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Hong Kong by Hong Wen, member of the Legislative Council of the Hong Kong SAR, Edward Lehman, co-founder of Lehman Bush, a company that provides strategic consultancies, and joining us from Bangkok, Thailand, by Bernard Chan, former convener of uh, a non-official member of the Executive Council of the Hong Kong SAR. He is also Executive Vice Chairman of our Hong Kong Foundation, the largest think tank in Hong Kong. The warmest welcome to all of you to the special edition of The Point. So uh, let's start with giving Hong Kong a bill of health at this moment. Uh, I'm going to go to Hong Wen, Ms. Hong Wen first. How would you describe the progress, the journey that the city has covered over the past year? How would you rate it then? I think after the social turmoil in 2019, um, there has been some fundamental changes in Hong Kong society. Four years since then, we have achieved uh, the transition from chaos to order and the social stability has been restarted, although we still need to guard uh, vigilantly against uh, potential threats. And we are now at a new stage where the priority of the whole society is to move from order to prosperity. And uh, although they are still undercurrent and uh, threats, I think many Hong Kong residents believe they are the beneficiaries of the new political order. And we are now focusing on realizing Hong Kong's eight centers positioning as set out in the 14th five-year plan, including International Financial Center, International Innovation and Technology Center, etc. Uh, Edward, let me go to you. Uh, from the business community's perspective, how have they been viewing the past year in Hong Kong? There are some positive news, for instance, GDP growth or uh, consumer confidence or the number of companies inquiring to set up headquarters in Hong Kong. But it seems that uh, um, there are also concerns as well about you know, the freedom in the city that's ob obviously expressed by Western media. I'm often reminded of Mark Twain's quote. I mean, the rumors of my death have been highly exaggerated. Uh, that's what he said. Uh, these words kind of apply to the situation in Hong Kong after 2019, meaning that, you know, this idea that people are still incorporating companies, people are still setting up headquarters, people are still, um, you know, using the court systems. There are people here that have voted with their feet who have lived here for many years, many generations many decades. I mean, our or our business has been here and is headquartered here, uh, you know, for 20 some odd years. So, I mean, there, there's still a confidence in Hong Kong and 
uh, you know, Hong Kong has always been that sort of safety valve, even during, you know, times of, of turmoil within, uh, you know, China's history. Um, Hong Kong has been a safety valve with regards to financial services and markets. Now, certainly COVID-19 and the pandemic itself cause challenges everywhere. Edward, that you may be uh, one of the luckier ones. I mean, the number of uh, new registrations by non-Hong Kong companies in the city fell uh, to something like 874 last year, less than half of the 2019 figure. You were talking about, you know, resilience and, and confidence. What are some of the tangible proofs you can give to our audience to say it is not just your personal feelings, but really established reality on the ground? Sure. I mean, I think what people don't really understand is that, I mean, the, the idea of what it was 20, 30 years ago, and again, and I was here then and, and I'm here still now, was that, you know, getting a bank account at a bricks and mortar bank was an easy thing. Opening up a Hong Kong company, you know, you didn't have to even show your passport at one point in time. I mean, this is how long ago that goes. That's since changed. I mean, the OECD regulations, which are which have been brought in by the United States about KYC, know your client and uh, AML, anti-money laundering laws, policies and regulations are in place. What I don't think people understand fully is that there is a whole new dynamic that's taken over. There's blockchain, there's all kinds of new technologies and there's new ways of doing business where people have fintech banks, these are younger folks, you know, in their 20s and 30s, that are actually going out and being uh, solo practitioners or being uh, sole proprietors, setting up shops, and that are doing a tremendous amount of business under their own names. So I think that there's been a shift. I also think that there's been a shift away from people going into the office, I mean, which I don't particularly like as an employer, but, and I think that people are working differently. And so I think that that, that adaptation of one thing about China and the thing about Hong Kong is about how tremendous they've been able to adapt. So it's not like the dinosaur that wasn't able to turn around and went extinct. The folks here in Hong Kong have always found their own way forward and pathway forward. So you look at the, at the figures uh, that have been presented, and I don't think it talks about this sort of underground, you know, sort of movement with regards to how businesses for young people are happening today. Okay. Bernard, being a uh, native of Hong Kong person, obviously Hong Kong's state of health of the economy and of the society is very something very dear to you. What do you look at when you want to look at how well the Hong Kong society is doing? First of all, considering after uh, we have the social unrest in 2019 and follow with two, two plus years of COVID, and in addition to all the negative news reporting from the West, I would say that we actually now not doing too bad because it's only until the end of March that all the COVID travel restriction lifted and people are now start coming back to Hong Kong. Because, uh, I mean, I've been very busy the last three months. We have lots of visitors coming back to Hong Kong because it's the first time in three years, more than three years, that they have a chance to come back and see from themselves. Now, I would say for those who have always been doing business with Hong Kong and the fact that they're willing to come back, I think that should be fine. Now, for those who never been to Hong Kong and all they hear about is the negative news reporting, then I would say it would still take some time before they make that trip. For those who are already doing business or for those who are in this side of the world, in this region, they are coming back. 
Now, I'm also happen to be the chairman for the largest contemporary art museum in this in this region, uh, the M Plus Museum, and I was also the founding chairman of, of Palace Museum. So both of these museums were open during、uh, COVID time, when the rest of the world can't travel back to Hong Kong, and when when the lift the restrictions lifted, everyone is coming back. So we hosted an event、uh, end of March. Together with Art Basel and you name it, all the top museum executives in the world, being you know convened in Hong Kong, and they were all so impressed of what the cultural offerings we have in Hong Kong because they haven't seen it for a couple of years. So I think is the fact that、um, we now reopen, the fact that people are coming back. But I do agree though,、uh, we still have a lot of challenges.、Uh, Talent、yeah. retention is a huge uh, challenge, and uh, we still have other problems.、Uh, uh, the economy, and more importantly, I think the number one crisis that we also have to address now is this geopolitical tension between the U.S. and China,、mm. and largely because the、uh, U.S. is imposing all types of uh, of uh, sanctions towards us, and that actually create a problem for us as the U.S.、Uh, administrator kept repeating this message of risking. So companies are、uh, slowing, especially U.S. companies.、Mm. They are slowing down, or they spreading the risk and not putting that in China or Hong Kong. So we are facing with those challenges as well that、uh, is being、yeah. imposed on us by the U.S.、Um, Bernard,、um, I want to ask you:、um, What do you think are the main factors behind the relatively positive picture that Hong Kong is、uh, enjoying today? Is it because of the eventual lifting of restrictions as a result of COVID, so that things are coming back naturally, or because of the new administration? I mean, what? How would you rate the performance and the policies of the John Lee administration over the past year? What have they done to contribute to what you just said? Oh, I'm pretty sure、uh, both.、Uh, definitely, the lifting of those restrictions allow people to come back. You know, we used to be the easiest place to,、uh, to come in and out,、uh, and during COVID. So I think the fact that we open up, people are coming back, and business、uh, resume. So definitely, that's a factor. But I think the current administration also have、uh, make a huge uh, efforts. Uh, the current administration to the legislature, they are very proactively in addressing. A、uh, lot of different issues, such as, for example, I just mentioned.、Uh, Edward mentioned about in the、uh, digital world. You know, we just announced that we are virtual the, the virtual asset、uh, arrangement. So you know, we the government is very proactively coming up with new legislation to facilitate business, and also, in fact, they opening up、uh, you know some new arrangement for talents and recruitment. So so a lot. I think the gov- current government. Is fully aware of some of the long-standing issues in Hong Kong that we haven't addressed, so we, they are tackling that. But at the same time, come with new policy to attract、uh, investors and also to、uh, to invite uh, uh, people to come back to do business in Hong Kong.、Mm. Miss Hong, do you think there is still a healthy dose of opposition after patriots have regained their due position to govern Hong Kong? Is there still a healthy debate going on in the legislature, so that the best ideas can be incorporated into the lawmaking process without vicious disruption of the lawmaking process?、Uh, first, I agree with Bernard's comments that several. Aspects contribute to Hong Kong's robust、uh, recovery. One reason is,、uh, I think,、uh, Hong Kong has finished its 
overhaul of the political system. During the social unrest, uh, the central government has acted uh, decisively to formulate and implement the national secrets law. And the second, uh, we have a massive overhaul of Hong Kong's election system, including uh, close scrutiny of the candidates to ensure only patriots run for election of legislative council. And I still believe that there are space for different voices in legislative council. Let me give you some example. Please. For example, in Hong Kong, the land development process uh, with respect to town planning, land um, uh, resumption, etc., are governed by various ordinances, including land resumption ordinance, town planning ordinance, etc. And the running of this process can take up considerable amount of time. Mm. I mean, years, sometimes even tens of years. And recently, after John Lee take office, um, he started the amendment of this ordinance, including streamlining uh, various land development process. And uh, the amendments of the ordinance were tabled in legal for debate and approval. I'm one of the members of the development panel and participated in the whole process of bill uh, committee debates. We, uh, we're not agreeing on every proposal uh, tabled for discussion by the government. Actually, there are some debates and the attacks that gives during mm. the discussion. Governments sometimes change their stance and even take back some proposals. So we finally achieved the uh, consensus which will be submitted to legislative council meeting next month for second reading. Edward, what is your observation of the kind of changes that has been taking place in the legislative chambers? We used to hear stories about filibustering or people yelling at each other, doing um, unruly things in order to express their op opposition ostensibly. Uh, and right now, it seems in Bernard's word, there is a proactiveness, the ability for the legislature and the government to move things ahead. What is your observation of the changes? I just want to remind folks from my observation outside, and, and thanks for asking. I mean, in politics, John Adams said, I mean, the middle way is no is no way at all. And I mean, at least what we know with John Lee is we know that there's a lot of support from Beijing, and we know with a firm hand which way we're going to go forward. And I think that we didn't necessarily have that under the last administration. And I think it was problematic, I think, for both sides. And I'm not trying to throw shade to the former chief executive, but I'm saying that wasn't very clear. I also want to point out, I mean, that in the region, I mean, if you take a look at a place like Singapore, if you take a look at uh, some other places, those aren't necessarily plurality of voices. I mean, the, the press doesn't want to talk about that, but uh, those are can, can be considered by some outside pundits as benign democracies that are sort of moving things through. So, I mean, it's not unusual in this region to have something like that. But I, what going back to what we've got here is we've got a clear way forward. We have a mandate. The reason we got in this soup, at least from my perspective, was you know, in 1997, when there was the handover, there was the basic law 23 said, hey, let's put together your own uh, national security law. It took them not one year, not five years, not 10 years, not 20 years, but 23 years before the central government said, hey, LegCo, 
we're going to go ahead and do this for you because you can't do it. They did it in Macau. They, they have their own national security or their own security law. We couldn't get it done. As a lawyer, as someone who practices law, how important do you think it is to strike a balance between expressing the freedom of expression and the ability to maintain stability and provide certainty, especially for a city of Hong Kong, Edward? Yeah, I mean, we've got uh, independent uh, judicial system here, legal system, and I think it is right. It is about striking a balance. And I think that sometimes that in places like the United States, you're, they strike a balance between, uh, you know, what can be said and what, not, what cannot be said. You can, can you yell fire at a crowded theater? I mean, that's freedom of speech, but it endangers people. And so I think that, uh, that, that it's important that there is a firm hand, that people know which direction the chief executive is coming from and where the legislative council is coming from. At least it's productive. I mean, meaning things are moving forward. Like you said, before this period of time, there were all kinds of baby games or shenanigans that were going on within the legislative council, which weren't productive. I mean, it was just simply showboating and, you know, uh, side shows that really led to not a lot of things going on that were productive. And I, I don't think, I think the people that were making those, if I look back in retrospect, they didn't really understand what they were dealing with and they didn't understand the ramifications of leadership in those roles. So now there's a way forward. But yeah, they, they have to maintain a balancing act with the judiciary. Not everyone's happy with the outcome of what the judicial system comes up with in any country, but at least it is functioning and it is impartial. So that's the way it's going. Bernard, from your perspective, how much has the national security law and the resulting stability in Hong Kong a factor in the rebounding of Hong Kong's economic activities and, and vitality? Uh, some people are actually criticizing that, saying the economy may be rebounding, but the freedom is down as a result of the national security measures. We are now have a somewhat of a crisis, and the crisis is all about retaining or attracting new talents. In fact, this is not just a challenge for Hong Kong. It's happening in many countries, many cities. And one of the major considerations to where the talent decide to go, because these days you can work in different places. You, can, you don't even have to be physically in one location to work. But the most important thing is where they're going to put their family. Right. So right. for global talent, the first number of thing before, you know, apart from the job itself, is where they put the family. And the number one consideration to decide where they put the family is whether the place is safe. Being the, the city or the country being safe is the number one priority for them. The next thing, of course, is education, arts and cultures, and so on and so on. Is that healthcare? And so on. these are the other things. So being a city being safe is so important. And today. This is, you know, after all these talks about, you know, freedom and so on and so on, at the end of the day, Hong Kong remained a very safe city. You know, apart from that, you know, couple of months during 2019, where it really freaked out everyone. I mean, I, I'm born and raised in Hong Kong. I've never seen anything like that during that period of time, where my office, I mean, finance, my office is in this downtown of the financial district. I couldn't even get out during lunchtime, like, that there were protests, and, and, and usually these protests turned violence. And that was a period of time that I think when people are very concerned, when you're talking about people want to do business mm -hmm. in, a, in a city that when there's no law and order, that was a crazy few months. So the national security helped to restore the law and order in Hong Kong. Now, when it comes to freedom of expression, as to the point Edward, we remain very free because that's enshrined in our constitution, freedom of expression. 
But then freedom of expression is not like no limit. You know, you cannot go and offend somebody. You know, even in in U.S. or in other Western country, you cannot really go and say anything to hurt, being hurtful or being, you know, being resentful to their cultures, to their people. You can't do that. So there are there are always a limit to what you can consider ex- free yeah. <laughs> to express. Right. So I, but I think apart from that, I mean, of course, the national security is very straightforward, right? There, there is very straightforward. You cannot call for independence of Hong Kong. You know, you cannot use Hong Kong to incite violence and and to to attack China. And who would do that in Hong Kong, right? Most people who who in business, you know, would, would never have that as the objective of doing business. Because uh, Bernard, can I say that uh, it is in China's interest that Hong Kong remains a free and competitive hub where it can link China, the mainland, with the rest of the world. Absolutely, I think President Xi uh, repeatedly reminded not just Hong Kong but the world that Hong Kong will remain in the best interest of China to remain very international. We are by far the most international right. city mm-hmm. in China, taking advantage of the two systems. So yeah. yes, I think remain, um, you know, the independent judici- judiciary is the important thing. And freedom of expression will remain, because that's all in China constitution. Yeah. I want to I want to go to Ms. Hong uh, there. Of course, a lot of people would argue, and I would uh, also understand that some of the frustration driving those protesters, maybe not the extreme ones, were livelihood concerns or concerns about uh, future mobility or jobs, unemployment, their living standards. So a couple of years after the riots have stopped, have the underlying concerns of livelihood, of uh, future personal development been addressed and improved for the youth of Hong Kong? In short term, we can see a robust recovery of the economy led mainly by uh, the return of the tourists as well as local consumption. But in the longer term, I think Hong Kong needs reforms, structural uh, reforms in its economic structure. The economic is so narrowly focused on several sectors, particularly the financial sector. But the financial sector alone cannot give enough opportunities to all you know, 7 million Hong Kong people. It contributes only 7% of our labor force in Hong Kong. So we need to diversify our economic structure from financial sector to INT, innovation and technology industries, to other uh, industries like re-industrialization, etc. We need to create job ladders for the youth, allow them to climb up the ladders to the middle class. So I think Hong Kong still facing a lot of challenges in expanding our economic structure and uh, allow more space for upward mobility for the society. Edward, let me go to you before um, I go to Bernard for one last question each. Uh, In terms of actually youth unemployment, Hong Kong is not doing that bad. The the March figure was 5.4%. Look at Germany, 5.6%. And and for the mainland, you know, youth unemployment is something like above 20%, which is really um, a big issue. So um, is the youth unemployment issue been blown out of proportion? But again, do you see things being done to address these concerns? 
Well, I mean, certainly the the government is putting in place, uh, like like it's been said. I mean, um, and, and all governments have to. This is a this is a problem with young people today because of things like AI and Chat GPT and things like that that are now diminishing not only young people in the workforce but also you know older and middle aged people uh, in the workforce as well. Are, are their jobs going to still be there? So it's the responsibility of of the government, which I think there there has been initiatives that have been launched uh, in the greater Bay Area in, in order to get youth uh, more involved. I think that there has to be, and, and there there is, these internships that are being set up and uh, different opportunities. But this is going to be the, the constant challenge with engaging folks. You know, Chinese, uh, from my perspective, are incredible students, and, and certainly nobody works harder than the folks in Hong Kong, and, and they're just looking for opportunities to be able to work hard. Um, and that, that's what I always see. And so the, the question is, are those opportunities there? And I think that they will continue to be there because people are going to create them. I don't always think that the government is always the answer. I think that there's innovation and innovative people that are here with the brain drain that's going on. That's that's a problem that Bernard spoke about, They're competing against other jurisdictions like Singapore or going to, to, to the West. That's where we really have to step up and make things available to them. All right. Bernard, very quickly, how do you see the biggest challenge going forward in terms of youth and their fulfillment? Well, clearly, we are entered to this period where first we have the, the talent uh, the shrinking talent pool. Uh, we are competing uh, mm. not just within ourselves, but also regionally. Uh, as we put it, that uh, everyone's competing for that same talent pool. So that's one issue. Then, of course, there's also the, a new generation too. Concept work is very different among the new generation. In fact, I, I find it very difficult as well when uh, you know where some of them would prefer not to work uh, in the office. So, so we we are we are we are facing with multiple challenges. First, right. it's just the, the new generation, the youth as well as how to meet their expectation. And many of them would not want, uh, surprisingly, they would not want a full-time commitment job. Mm-hmm. They, they prefer to uh, work multiple jobs. Yeah. So these are the challenges I think that uh, we are facing and, along with all the other things that we are, we are, we are working on too. But I, but I always find that Hong Kong We'll always manage to find our way out because, you know, the, the workforce are resilient and very pragmatic. And we always find a way and technology might help. I'm hoping technology will eventually uh, address some of those, um, uh, the, you know, oh, the, some of the issues that we just talked about. OK, well, hopefully, but it is a, a tough time for everybody. Um, many thanks to, it's a big topic, we have to leave it there. Many thanks to Hong Wen, a legislative uh, council member of the Hong Kong SAR, Edward Lehman, co-founder of Lehman Bush, and uh, Bernard Chen, former convener and non-official member of the Executive Council of the Hong Kong SAR, also Executive Vice Chairman of our Hong Kong Foundation. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. You've got the point.